So anyway, we are back in the summer psalms. We've been finding our way through there. We've got uh, Psalm 25 today, so you can make your way there. I think we've got four left after this. Psalm 15, uh, a portion of 119, and then 49 and, and 50 to kind of finish out the summer, which tells you the summer is getting close to an end also. Um, but anyway, Psalm 25 today, make your way there. And uh, Now, Psalm 25 is both an, an individual a, a lament and also a wisdom psalm. And so you're going to see teaching. And in some ways, it kind of resembles a proverb as you make your way through it, as it jumps from topic to topic and idea to idea pretty quick. Now, most laments, as we've seen, are, are filled with just raw emotion, with just kind of this unbridled anguish that we, we see. But Psalm 25 is, is very different in the sense that it's this it's very mature lament, if, if, if there's such a thing, right? You, you might even think of it as a, a lament without the drama, is what Psalm 25 is. Now, James Montgomery Boyce said of the psalm, he said, it's a thoughtful prayer by one who knows that the only adequate foundation for any worthwhile life is God. And let me remind you that... Uh, wherever you see, and I say this so often, some of you are like, we know, we know, but I, I need you to know this, and I, and I need you to know it for a couple of reasons. One, uh, every time we see Lord, all caps, right, this is translating Yahweh, or Yahweh, uh, the covenant name of, of God, and I need you to know that also because sometimes when I'm preaching, I'm just going to throw out Yahweh instead of God or Lord, and if you're walking in here and don't know that, it's going to sound really weird to you probably. Uh, so know that. Um, all right, so let's, let's go ahead and read these 22 drama-free verses, beginning in verse 1 of Psalm 25. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wanton, treacher, wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he instructs sinners in the ways. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever towards the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. My integrity, or may integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is your word given to us for a purpose. 
We, we ask that you would enlighten our minds and humble our hearts this morning. We ask that you would teach us your word so that we can follow your paths in this journey of life. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So what do you do when you are facing conflict in your life? When you're dealing with enemies, even if you consider these enemies friends, right? You're dealing with enemies. Maybe you're discouraged and afraid. How are these things going to turn out? What, what do you do? I think if you're like most people, you, you go on complaining to someone about whatever that frustration is. Uh, hopefully, as a follower of Christ, you also go to God in prayer about the situation, and that's a good thing. But again, I, I think our, our natural inclination at times is, is to just go to the Lord and begin pleading. Here's my problem. Here's what's wrong. Here's what I need you to fix. Here's the wisdom I need. Here's the victory I'm asking for. And, and that's not wrong. Many psalms begin that way right from the start, but we, we find here in, in, in this mature, drama-free lament another way uh, to learn about how do we begin that prayer with the Lord. Look how David prays here, and, and I love this. I love how David doesn't just begin with his request for help, but instead he's giving himself over to the Lord completely. Listen to that opening line. Look at it. It says, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Oh my God, in you I trust. Can you pray that? To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Are, are you comfortable giving every aspect, right? Not just your soul, every aspect of your being to Yahweh and, and trusting Him. I know, sure, it's, it's all God's anyway, your God's anyway, but that doesn't stop us from trying to, to hold on, to, to try to keep control of things going on in our life or just our own life. You ever, you ever seen a, a child, a, a young child, right, just draped over his mother or his father's arms, just completely passed out, uh, asleep, and, and you just see that, that dead weight, absolute trust that their father, their mother has them. That's the image here, right, of, of lifting up your soul to the Lord. So much trust, so much absolute confidence in, in the Lord having you that, that you, can, you could sleep even, that you could rest. And so, Christian, lift your soul to the Lord, right? Not, not to the vanity of physical beauty, not to the idol of academic and career success, not to the narcissistic pursuit of, of self-righteous perfection, not to the eggshell security of, of great financial wealth, and not to the nomadic opinions of others. Do not lift your soul to anything or anyone but the Lord our God. So let's learn to begin our our prayers to the Lord like this, right? To you, O Lord, O my God, in you I trust. Oh, oh. Only then does David begin to make his plea. Now, what are we to make of these words shame and a shame that we see here in verse 2 and 3? You, you see, in Scripture, there's actually two uses of, of these words, shame and ashamed. Uh, think of those as one word, right? Uh, and, and one is like we commonly use it when we're just having discussions with people or the way we experience that, that sense of, you know, I'm embarrassed in this situation, I, I shouldn't have done that, that kind of thing. Um, wh whatever it is, that sense of embarrassment's the hardest. When I, when I was in uh, seminary, I was working for uh, a pastor and we met at this McDonald's in Dallas, Texas one morning, and, and behind the counter was a, a young Hispanic woman, and uh, my pastor boss, my boss begins to go up and order and he just starts speaking the Spanish as best he can to her uh, and you can see her facial expression immediately just go to absolutely annoyed at what's happening right here 
Um, and she responds to him in this perfect accent-free English. It's clear she doesn't even speak English or speak, speak Spanish at all. And, and my boss just plows through. He keeps speaking Spanish to her. And, and, and the annoyance you can just see, she's trying to hold it all back in this moment. And she glances over at me with this just annoyed, like, like I could stop it somehow. Um, it, but she looks at me in that moment, and I just felt this sense of, being ashamed and embarrassed to be with him while he was doing this in this moment, right? I pick up on the clues here. She doesn't speak Spanish. Don't assume that because she's Hispanic. Anyway, I just wanted to disappear at that moment. You know, and, and that's kind of a humorous example, but, but surely you felt this sort of embarrassed because of association or embarrassed because something crazy has happened to you, right? Uh, in, in life where you're just, just kind of embarrassed by it. Um, sadly, some who profess faith in Christ wrestle with being... A, a, ashamed of being known that, that they're a Christian. That's a follower of Christ. He's one of them. And Jesus uses the word ashamed in this, this manner when he says in Luke 9, 20, 26, he says, forever is ashamed of me and my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in glory. That's the same meaning that the Apostle Paul uses it in, in, in Romans 1, 16, when he declares, right? When he boldly declares, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. We're encouraged to not be ashamed in that sense. But that's not what David's speaking of here in Psalm 25. Here the idea of of shame is, is that of being let down, that of being disappointed because we have trusted in something or someone who, who turns out to be unworthy of our trust. The, the shame a spouse might feel due to unfaithfulness, the shame uh, you might feel when, uh, when, when, hev- uh, when heavily investing in a company and that company goes bankrupt, that you were foolish to put your money there. The, the shame you would feel if you, if you trusted God to do something and, and, and you made a big deal out of it and then it doesn't actually happen. This is how it's used in Romans 5.5 5, when Paul says, Hope does not put us to shame. We won't be disappointed in, in that. Or, or like God says in Isaiah 49, 23, those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. We will not be ashamed if we put our trust in the Lord and we wait in him. You see the point here. When, when we place our, our faith in God, when we wait for Yahweh to deliver us, we will not be abandoned by God. We will not be ashamed. Instead, as we see in, verses, or in verse 3, Uh, Those who will be ashamed are those who are wantonly treacherous, right? Those aren't terms we use very often. Uh, What that means is just simply those who are intentionally traitors to God. Those will be the ones who are ashamed in the end. Now this raises a question. This is King David, a man after God's own heart. Doesn't David know to trust in the Lord? Doesn't he know better than to have these questions? And you know, in fact, why does it even cross David's mind that God might abandon him? Shouldn't he know better? The simple answer is, he's a sinful man, just like you and I are, woman. Because when David looks at his life, he sees enemies who intend to do him harm. This is what his experience is. And thus far, he's seen them actually be success, successful in this. He's seen them triumph over him in this regard. But, but also, David knows himself to be a sinner. He knows he hasn't lived as righteous and well as the Lord has called him to which we'll look at in a little bit. Now, now surely it's not too difficult to identify with these concerns. You, you wonder, right, if, if God might abandon you because of your sin. Maybe not a, a day-to-day thing, but something happens in your life, some sin that grabs a hold habitually or is so big that you think there's no way that, that God will continue with me now. 
he might abandon me. Now, the gospel speaks to that. No, God will not abandon you whom he has redeemed. But that doesn't mean that we as sinners often aren't going to struggle with that idea, that we're not going to have to fight against those thoughts. Now, it's not good, but, but also don't be shocked if, if you fail to trust God at times. Again, here is King David. Again, a man after God's own heart, and he felt that way at the time of writing the psalm. Now, he takes those concerns to Yahweh, and so should you, right? He takes them to Yahweh who, who can renew his faith, who can strengthen his, his trust again and deliver him from his enemies. He knows what to do as a result of these feelings, and so should you. Go to the Lord. Go to his word. Now, like I said, this is a level-headed psalm, and David knows that God will deliver him. Uh, but he also knows this. He knows that the way that God is going to do this, right? One of the things that David is called to is to live his life in the way that God calls him to live it. Now, that, that sounds weird. We're not talking about salvation here. I know we always want to go to that real quick. But, but he's saying, you know what, God, I, I want to do that, right? That's why he asked, verse 4, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. You see, one of the weaknesses of modern general evangelicalism is, is that many Christians care too little about living according to God's word. It's just kind of, that's extra, that's bonus. If you really want to, like, get some extra credit or, you know, just, it's not something that's fresh on our mind. It's, it, it's like uh, God said in Jeremiah 6.16, which was one of your reflection quotes, Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. That's not the way God's people should respond. Now, apart from Jesus himself, no one is going to walk the paths of the Lord perfectly. No one. But we know, that, but we who are his disciples, his people, we, we are to make it our intention to follow in obedience. That's what we're to do. Do, do you regularly go to the Lord seeking wisdom on the, on the ways? Do you, do you regularly go to the Lord's Word seeking to understand the ways? Do you re regularly go in prayer asking God, how do you want me to live? How do you want me to relate to others in this moment? What is your way? One of our, our, our men, Rich Machina, who didn't want credit, but I'm throwing it out there anyway, uh, who's deployed overseas right now. Back in, in May, we were emailing back and forth, and he shared with me what he was learning from Psalm 25, uh, not knowing we were going to be preaching on it later this summer. And he was surprised and encouraged to, to see there in verse 4 that, that David asked God to teach him his past. Not, not just show him his past, but to teach him his past. And, and, and Rich said this about it. He said, seeing a path and being taught how to safely and courageously navigate a path are two very different things. I can see a sailboat. I can be led out on a sailboat, but I can't sail the dangerous sea unless someone teaches me the sailboat and how to handle it in the open ocean. And so it is for, for you and I, right? We've got this lifetime commitment to learn from God's word, to learn his word, to learn how do we walk in life? How do we live our day-to-day -day life? How do we engage with people that drive us nuts? How do we engage with people that we think are fantastic? And in every other aspect of life, as we learn how to walk a, a godly path in life. Then in verses 6 and 7, David is asking God to remember two things, and he's asking God to not remember two things. God, uh, God, remember your mercy, and God, remember your steadfast love. Remember those things, right? Who you are, God. 
and because of who you are, I'm asking you to not remember the sins of my youth, right, past sins, and don't remember my transgressions, these more recent sins. And, and as David pleads for God to forget his sins, David admits that his sins, uh, admits that he has these sins, right? And, and, and presumably, and we can assume so by the way he's talking here, uh, and everything else we know about David, that he has repented, he has turned away from those sins, that he has uh, all intention of not committing them again and again and again. And there, there's something sweet at the close of verse 7 as, as David here with empty hands prays, right? For the sake of your goodness, O Lord, remember me. You, you see just how, how basic his prayer gets. Just remember me. Remember me. As we look to verse 8, it's nearly impossible to see the work of, uh, not to see the work of Jesus our Lord. It says, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. To, to say that God is good is to say that that God's kind, to say that he's merciful, that mercy is a part of him, to say that God is, is upright is, is to say that God is just, that he does what is right. Um, but, but how can God be both just and merciful? You ever think about that? How can God justly demand that sin be paid for and also be merciful, which, which means that he does not give to someone, you and I, the punishment that we deserve for our sins? But what I mean is, is how is it that you and I can be truly guilty sinners, not just accused, but guilty sinners, and the wrath of God not be poured out on us in, in justice? And, and yet, not only do we see this other places in Scripture, but yet here in verse 8, good and upright is the Lord. The, the only answer to this description that we find in Psalm 25, 8 is, is of course, Jesus. Perfectly holy Jesus, who satisfies the justice of God by bearing our punishment on the cross, in my place, in your place, in the place of everyone who has faith in Christ, and thus the justice of God is preserved. Sin does not go unpunished. It is absolutely punished on Christ, but also the, the mercy of God is preserved in that we do not receive the wrath that we deserve. Now, did you also notice in verse 8 who God instructs here? It's kind of a surprise, right? Sinners. Not all seven billion sinners on the globe today, um, but those sinners who know themselves to be sinners, who confess themselves to be sinners, who seek the Lord. Right through the lens of the New Testament, we learn that the way that God instructs sinners is, is faith in Jesus primarily. For there is no other way, only through Christ. In, in verse 9, we, we see the first characteristic, though, of the sinner that God instructs, right? And what is it? It's humility. Humility. I don't know if you've been as surprised as I have, but all throughout the Psalms, how often we come back to this humility. And I wonder how much we pursue that as God's people. Uh, Trimper Longman has, has said, pride stands in the way of instruction. Humility makes a person open to listening to God. Those who think that they know it all will not listen to correction, but the humble will allow themselves to be guided. See, the scriptures are full of promises that God will teach those who are humble. But did you also know that there is not one single promise that God will bless or instruct the prideful? Not one. See, there's no place for pride in the life of the Christian. None. You want to know the way of God. You want to walk the path of the Lord. Then lay down your pride and arrogant self-righteousness. It's it's a humbling journey that we have been called to. In verse 10, we learn that the man or woman who is enabled to receive God's blessing is, is also not only a humble, but an obedient person. As it, it said here, right, those who keep the covenant. 
this is again about obedience. Too often we want to evaluate and only obey God's word when we think, you know what, that's, that's a good idea. I think, I think I agree with that, right? And sometimes we do it the other way, right? Jesus says, love your enemies. And we think, I don't know about that. Kathy's kind of a nasty person. She's really bad. I don't even think she likes you, God. Like, she's your enemy, so I shouldn't hate her, right? Uh, you kind of do this evaluation of, you know what, I'm just going to obey your word, God, where I kind of agree with it, which is not obedience at all. Or we kind of just shrug off obedience as unimportant because we know that our salvation is by grace through faith and not a result of works. And that's true. Sadly, we Reformed folks are often afraid of any serious pursuit of godliness or commitment to obedience because we have this, this, this some sub-level maybe fear. You know what? If, if I start pursuing holiness or pursuing obedience to God's word, I, I'm going to fall into that heretical works-based salvation, and I don't want to do that, and the safest way I can be is to just not pursue holiness. Listen, obedience to the Lord is good. It is to be sought after by all who are, by faith, resting in the finished work of Christ for us. It's not to earn anything, right? And so all who are filled with the Holy Spirit, Christian, Seek this. Seek obedience. Are, are you committed to, to godly obedience as a way of life? Not for salvation, but because you have salvation. Now, verse 11 brings us to the halfway point, and it's, it's an interesting verse. Uh, for one, have you noticed that the first seven verses are written in the second person? When you get to the Psalms, it's always interesting. Uh, when, when you're doing that yourself, pay attention to these things, right? Uh, David's speaking directly to God. It's in the second person. Later, verse uh, 16 to the end of the psalm, it's also the second person. But this middle section, verses 8 to, to 15 here, are written in the third person. You'll, you'll notice David is talking about God. It doesn't seem directed to God explicitly. The only exception to that is, is verse 11 here, where, where David slips back to the second person perspective, and he says, For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Why is the name of God so significant that David mentions it as the motivation for God to forgive David's guilt? The simple answer is because there is nothing, nothing greater than God and his glorious, majestic name. It also teaches us, teaches us that even the forgiveness of our sin is not primarily about us. It is primarily about the glory of God, about the honor of his name. And, and while I would love to just camp out here, that, that is a whole sermon in and of itself. Uh, if that interests you, we can talk more about that. Today, though, we're going to keep moving on to verses 12 through 15 here, uh, which starts with this question, <clears throat> who is the man who fears the Lord? How would you answer that? Or a better question, how, how confident are you that you could answer that question in the affirmative? Me, I am a man who fears the Lord. Or, or me, I am a woman who fears the Lord. See, the way we're to fear the Lord is, is not like you fear abusive fathers with short tempers. It's not like you fear cancer or other diseases. It's not like you fear things that are just dangerous and, and with evil intent like that. To, to fear the Lord is <clears throat> to truly know that you are not the center of the universe because God is. To, to fear the Lord is to, to stand in reverence and, and awe at, 
at his might and holiness and, and sovereignty because you, can, you know who God is as he's revealed himself. To, to fear the Lord is to bow at his feet and submit to his ways. To fear the Lord is to, to have this attitude that acknowledges your complete dependence on God for mercy, for forgiveness, even for your continued existence in the next moment. In other words, it is to rightly relate to God as a creature before the Creator, our Creator. When we fear God, we are humble and, and teachable. And as verse 14 says, God extends His friendship to the man or the woman who, in all who, who fears Him. In verse 15, we see that the one who fears the Lord, Lord uh, will always be looking to God. In 2 Chronicles, there's this massive gathering of armies, right? And, and they, they show up. It's all the ites get together. Uh, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Minites. All the ites, big armies that usually don't get together. Anyway, they're ready to just destroy God's people. And Jehoshaphat, who's the good king of Judah at this time, he prays this amazing prayer. And I just want to read one verse for you and to read it for you because it's a specific example. We see it being played out of what Psalm, Psm 25:15 is modeling for us, right? In Second Chronicles 20:12, Jehoshaphat prays this: "We are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you, God. We are looking to you, God. What we do know is that we can trust you. My, uh, I've mentioned this before. My dad actually has these Labradors that he uses as this illustration. And he'll sp speak to various groups that uh, he'll, he'll use as a... It's just an illustration. But anyway, one of the things I love is, is he has these amazingly trained dogs that win all these, I don't know, hunt test things. Um, and, and you watch his dogs. They can go out and, and they'll try things on their own. And they'll look around. And then a moment comes where they just stop and they sit and then they look to my dad because whatever it is they're supposed to find, they, they can't find. They don't know where it is. They can't see it. And they just look to him and wait. And he'll give some symbol. And, and they'll go wherever he sends them. The hidden things they didn't know were even out there. And, and these dogs will bring it back. And I love it because it's that image of even we don't know what to do. We look to the Lord because he does know. He, he knows things we don't know. And, and we just need to learn to do that a whole lot more. To put our trust in the Lord. We look to the Lord. And that means looking to his word for, for what we should do in life. Okay, let's, let's move on. Verses 16 and 21. And, and remember, it's, it's, it's back to second person here. He's praying to the Lord directly, and, and he's addressing a number of requests here, the first of which is about loneliness. Uh, we, we've all felt lonely. We've all felt distant from God as well and, and long to feel God's presence in our life. That, that's also David's experience here, uh, recorded in verse 16, where he turns to God and he asks, God, turn to me. Be gracious to me, for I'm lonely and afflicted. God invites you to pray that in your loneliness. Do you ever feel distressed or, or anxious, right? Verse 17 speaks to that. Uh, as David expresses it there, he says, The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Right? He's anxious, and what's he do? He goes to the Lord, and he makes his request known to him. And then finally we come to the end of verse 22 which broadens this psalm from this personal lament for David to a communal lament for all of God's people. James Montgomery Boyce again said in verse 22 is, uh, he says it's a, a serious invitation for us to put our own name into the final couplet. We can pray 
as expectantly as David does here, redeem me, O God, from all my troubles. We could also do this more widely, right? Redeem your church, O God, from all her troubles. Now, along with the smaller applications we made along the way, let me give you one overarching application of Psalm 25. Psalm 25 is a beautiful, enlightening model prayer for any who suffer, but particularly those who suffer at the hands of others, those who are bitter uh, towards you, those who want to see you fail uh, and, and suffer and to be ashamed. This is a psalm as well for sinners who, who want to be forgiven. It's a psalm for the lonely and the anxious who wish to be comforted by God's presence. This teaches us how to ask God to deliver us as, as we place our trust in Him, as we lift up our souls to the Lord, as we wait for God to, to work in the way that only God can, and as we keep our eyes on God. And so learn to pray through this prayer Yes, word for word, I, I mean that, right? Actually open up to this sometime and, and pray through it word for word, but also as an example to say, look, look how he's praying. Um, and then you bring your specific way of doing it into it, your specific circumstances into it. And, and listen, I mean that. I know we throw these things out and we're like, yeah, try this sometime, do this, make this a part of your life. But, but I really mean it sometime this day, sometime this week, will you actually open up to this and, and, and do this? And maybe you think, I don't have an enemy trying to destroy me right now. That's all right. There's so much more in the psalm than, than just that, right? And so, so come to it. Lift up your soul to, to Yahweh and, and give all of your being over to the Lord. Know, know what that's like to do in prayer. And then pray for God to deliver you from whatever or whoever is against you. Ask God to forgive your, your sin and to teach you his past. Plead for a humble heart. Ask for strength and will to obey his word. And exhort the, from the Lord or to the Lord to, for, for a reverent fear of Him that you desire and, and maybe you don't really have, but you desire to have. Let me remind you here at the end that in, in Christ, Christian, you are forgiven. And not only is that glorious in and of itself, but, but you, you can go to the Lord in prayer. He hears your prayers. You have access even as a, a lowly creature, you have access to the creator of the universe who desires you to do so, who invites you to do so. Let's pray. To you, O oh Lord, we, we lift up our souls. And you, O oh God, we, we do trust. Holy Spirit, please work in us so that those words from Psalm 25 will be imprinted upon our hearts so that we can say them and it be true. Lord Jesus, with so many paths before us each day, teach us to follow you. Make us to walk in your paths. Teach us to do so. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.